Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to listen in on a conversation between Jesus and God the Father? I mean, yeah. Imagine what you might hear. What eternal mysteries might be revealed. Well, here's some good news. The Apostle John was able to do just that, and he faithfully recorded what he heard. He witnessed Jesus praying aloud to the Father, and he wrote down what he said so that we could have the chance to receive it as well. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Balog. Let's listen now to some of what our Lord said. A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus, praying to God the Father, said of his disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. That was John chapter 17, verses 14 to 19. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. A key principle of Bible study is that we must always seek to take out of the Bible what God put into it, rather than reading into the Bible what we want it to say. That's why we created the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the speaker, audience, and context of a Bible passage before attempting an explanation. In other words, we like to think about the S, P, A, and C before getting into the E. As mentioned, The speaker of this passage of Scripture is Jesus, our Messiah, and the audience is the Apostle John, who recorded what he said. More broadly, the audience for John's Gospel was the early church. Yes, John's Gospel came after the other Gospels had been written and circulated, probably somewhere between 64 and 70 AD. John obviously thought that he had a unique perspective to add as someone who was a direct eyewitness to the events described in the other Gospels. And we can see that John's Gospel adds many things to our understanding of Jesus that are not in the other Gospels. As for the context of today's passage, John 17 happens between the Last Supper and Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Now this section of Scripture begins with our Lord's farewell address to his disciples. After the Last Supper, Jesus counseled his disciples at length promised the coming of the Holy Spirit, and foretold his death. 
After that, he went for a walk to pray. This is where the Gospels record a famous moment in history known as the Agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. John does not describe who was present during this moment, but we can infer from the other Gospel accounts who was there. For instance, here is the account from Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. The two sons of Zebedee are John, the author of the gospel that we're studying today, and his brother James. These are the same three disciples that Jesus took up to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. So, John's gospel is the only gospel written by someone who experienced these things in person. On that note, we're ready to get into an explanation of today's scripture reading. So let's break it down. Our guest reader today is Alia. John, chapter 17, verses 14 to 16. Praying to the Father, Jesus said, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Peter, who we just mentioned was also likely hearing Jesus say this, wrote the following words to the churches in his first letter. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Now, we could have led into that verse by quoting Jesus and saying, You are not of the world. You are a people for God's own possession. Now, let's talk about what this means for all of the people in the churches today, those of God's holy nation with the wisdom of a disciple. We are not of this world. Jordan, tell us, what does that mean in a practical sense? Well, I think that James, the brother of Jesus, put it best. We have to continually rid ourselves of, quote, all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, and, quote, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. By the way, notice the connection between Jesus praying, I have given them your word, and James writing, receive the word implanted. Going back to Peter, he mentions the priesthood, and we can think of the sanctification process that James alludes to as what the priests of Israel went through in order to prepare themselves to be in the presence of God, the constant cleansing, the regular practice of atoning for sin. Only through this process can we truly remain set apart as a people worthy to be called God's own possession. And as James points out, Only through this process can we save our souls. Okay, great. Now let's briefly talk about that last phrase for any new listeners to our show. Jordan, you were quoting James chapter 1, verse 21, which says verbatim, the word implanted is able to save your souls. This clearly suggests salvation is not certain and not guaranteed. And many have taken it to mean salvation must be earned and can be lost. 
Yes, and that's true. Salvation must be earned, and salvation can be lost. The question you have to ask when interpreting such scriptures is, which salvation is the author talking about? Thankfully, he tells you, he tells us, the salvation of our souls. The word for souls in the original language of the New Testament is different than the word for spirit. If you confuse those two words, you'll have trouble making sense of the New Testament, which talks about the gift of salvation and also the prize of salvation, which are two different things. Here's how we like to teach about it. Our spirits were saved, and we received justification once for all time, the moment that we believed in Jesus. That salvation is the gift. It cannot be earned, see Ephesians 2.8, and it cannot be lost, see John 10.28. But our souls, on the other hand, require constant and ongoing salvation. As Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2, we have to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. It must be earned because it is about reward in the kingdom, which is not guaranteed. Now back to Alia. John chapter 17, verse 17. Continuing his prayer, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Let's spend a little time on this verse because there is quite a bit of information encoded here in just a few words. Jordan, what jumps out? Well, for that, we need to go back to the C of the space method and consider the scriptural context, the Gospel of John itself. The first chapter of the Gospel of John teaches that Jesus is God and also the Word. The Word was God, John 1.1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. The Word in the flesh was named Jesus, John 1.29. The 14th chapter of the Gospel of John also teaches that Jesus is the truth. Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's John 14, 6. And now here in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, we learn that God's word is truth, and that sanctification in truth is necessary for true discipleship. The word, the truth, sanctification. These words may not fully register when we read them, but they reinforce each other in a virtuous circle that reveals something critical and deep, the key to that soul salvation we are talking about. Soul salvation is often called sanctification because of the catchphrase used to describe the differences between spirit salvation, soul salvation, and bodily salvation, otherwise known as justification, sanctification, glorification. Now, as mentioned, justification is how the Spirit is saved at the moment of belief in our Lord's finished work on the cross. The Spirit is justified. Sanctification is how the soul is continually saved throughout our sinful lives. You know, in the original language of the New Testament, the word translated sanctification here in John 17, 17, has the sense of cleansing and purifying and renewing one's soul recommitting to separating ourselves from the sinful world and constantly rededicating our lives to God. If you think about how often you and I slip into the sinful mental patterns of the world, it's obvious how often this renewing process has to happen. But the question always arises as to how exactly we do it. Well, here in John chapter 17, 
Jesus makes the answer apparent. We need constant washing in the truth, and the wash basin is God's word. It is only by bathing in the Bible daily that we can stay clean and keep our minds focused on the things of God. Right, Andy, and that's why a certain comment I hear always kind of bugs me, and maybe you've heard it too. People will say, why do I need to spend so much time studying the Bible? Now, I've heard it all before. I know it's right in my heart. Now, of course, the smart ones recognize that our hearts live in the chest of a sinful person. So perhaps they go one step further and claim they always know what's right because of the Holy Spirit within them. But here in John 17, 17, we see Jesus declare that God's word is the source of his truth. So true discipleship must involve regular Bible study. And that makes sense when you think about it. As I tell my kids, praying is how you talk to God. Reading the Bible is how God talks to you. Amen. Exactly. Praying to God and listening to God is how we build that intimate and personal relationship with God that is necessary. Now, some of you listeners might remember those chilling words that Jesus tells his disciples during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. And they read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, a few things to remember. Because the people Jesus is speaking of call him Lord, we know that they are saved according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, which says, no one can call Jesus Lord unless they have the Holy Spirit. So that's point one. Point two is Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we are saved. So these people at this point are saved and sealed by God himself. However, Jesus is saying to his disciples, who were his believers, that even though some people might be saved and call him Lord, They will seek to enter the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus might just say, I never knew you. So finally, point three, what Jesus meant by this is that these people were not intimate with him. The best way to grow and gain intimacy with Jesus is through constantly developing a personal relationship with him through prayer and studying his word. That's how we obey our father, by doing these things. Remember, Jesus is coming back for a bride the most intimate of his family members, who is without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Let's hear from Alia one more time. John, chapter 17, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. We just learned that sanctification is about purification from sin. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I sanctify myself? Jesus was sinless. He didn't need purification from sin. Absolutely, Jordan. 
You know, all words in the original Greek language of the Bible have multiple shades of meaning. Purification is just one sense of the word used here. Now, other translations give a clear understanding of what our Lord meant in applying this word to himself. For instance, the New Living Translation says, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy. The English Standard Version says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, I personally like that the ESV uses the word consecrate, which means dedicated or set apart for God. Jesus uses some wordplay here to say that he set himself apart as a holy sacrifice so that his disciples and all who would believe after them could also be set apart through his sacrifice. And again, as Peter revealed, that is the purpose. We continually purify our souls to remain set apart as God's people, sanctified. And how do we do that? Well, as John says elsewhere in his first letter to the churches, because Jesus consecrated himself and became a holy sacrifice, all we have to do is confess our sins and we can be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. And we find that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Okay, folks, so we have a little time left. Let's do a conversation question. Our lesson was about how we should be set apart. But Christians today dress like everyone else, talk like everyone else, and think like everyone else. Sometimes we also sin like everyone else. We've even had scandals where it turns out some famous Christians were committing the worst kinds of sin. How can Christians be in the world without becoming like the world? Interesting fact, the reason we have the Dead Sea Scrolls is because somewhere around 150 BC, a sect of Jewish monks took the scriptures and set themselves apart in a remote area of the Judean desert in order to remain spiritually clean. Did they have the right idea? On the one hand, blending in can be a good thing. If we live like the Amish do, our numbers would be as small as theirs and our message would be easy to dismiss as out of date. On the other hand, as Alia pointed out, being in the world can clearly be a bad thing because it's devilishly hard to avoid falling into sin. What we need are practical principles for how to be in the world without becoming of the world. So here are a few ideas. The Mike Pence rule, also sometimes called the Billy Graham rule or the Modesto Manifesto. Now, if you're married, never spend time alone with someone of the opposite sex. The Bible says, flee sexual immorality. That's 1 Corinthians 6.18. This rule goes further by avoiding a potentially tempting situation altogether. Another idea would be called screen time for Christ. You know, many business and life coaches teach that limiting social media, entertainment, gaming, and so on is a good idea. So why not do it for Christ? After all, does getting sucked into an angry political debate on social media help keep us sanctified? Or what about movies, TV shows, and even video games that invite us to imagine ourselves as characters that kill, engage in sexual immorality, and so on? It makes sense to limit such things to try to keep our minds pure. Another example would be to bathe weekly. Don't worry, this is not about physical hygiene. It's about spiritual hygiene. So here's a question. Do you have to go to church in order to be a good Christian? 
The answer simply is no. The closest thing we have to a scriptural command is Hebrews 10.25, which says, let us not neglect meeting together. That's kind of more like advice than a command. And yet going to church is one of the best ways to bathe yourself weekly in the cleansing truth of God's word. There's nothing quite like worshiping God and receiving his word in the company of other believers. So please, let's never neglect meeting together. Well, that's 20 minutes and that's our lesson. Before we go, don't forget, we want to hear from you. We welcome your questions and your comments, even if you don't agree with us. Just give us a call and leave a message. Our number is 908-271-6717. If you ask a good question or make a good point, we may even put you on the show. Once again, our number is area code 908-271-6717. You can also find us on many different social media platforms including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. The mission of Mysteries of the Kingdom is to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as possible. We all know studying the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth. Yet it can be hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. That's why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God. And with these on-demand audio programs, Christians can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. If you'd like to participate in this ministry and receive the blessings that come from helping to spread God's word, please visit MOTK.org and click Donate. We pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. Also, since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax deductible. Once again, just visit the website and click donate. Finally, we also like to take time at the end of the show to promote other ministries whose missions that we support. You've heard us talk about Friends of Israel, Got Questions, and the Blue Letter Bible. Today, we'd like to tell you about a regional ministry that benefits children who have suffered significant trauma from abuse and neglect. The ministry is the Louisiana Methodist Children's Home. If you have a heart for helping children who are in desperate need of God's love, then this is the ministry for you. As Jesus taught us, whatever we do to the least of those among us, we have done to him. That's Matthew 25, 31 to 46. To find out more, visit them online at lumcfs.org. That's L-U-M as in Louisiana United Methodist, then CFS as in Children Family Services dot O-R-G, lumcfs.org. Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. 
Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.